Please keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. Welcome to the Corey Connects Podcast. You are about to embark on a thrill ride of the ages. Corey Warfield went from living on the streets to hanging with the elites. This growth hacker, serial entrepreneur, mentor, and social media personality has taken connection to new heights. Hold on as we learn from globally recognized leaders who have used the power of connection in areas of innovation, upskilling, technology, leadership, and disruption. So hold on to your hats. It's about to get real. Matt Abrahams is a lecturer at Stanford, also an entrepreneur, but he teaches people how to speak better. So I better make sure that I'm speaking well and bringing my A game. Hey, Matt. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. You've got your car back? I do have my car back. That was a frustration. Thank you so much for being agile. I appreciate you flexing on this time today. I had something that popped up I knew was going to go longer. So first of all, it's my pleasure to be flexible and, and I'm all about the law of reciprocity. And so it's literally, literally less than the least I could do. It was the right thing to do. And I'm glad this worked out even better. Second of all, this shows just about connection. And so for what you do, helping people as individuals connect with the masses, Mm-hmm. And what I love about you is you're not only a lecturer and a professor and someone whose talks have literally had ripple effects around the world, but you're an entrepreneur also. And so you're a founder. You do this. You help founders. You kind of sit in that cool, I don't want to call it gray area, but that crossover. If it's the mm-hmm. Venn diagram, you're squarely in the middle. And so what I know is that people that are listening to this, if they've spoken in front of a thousand person crowd before, or if hearing that right now makes them want to vomit a little bit in their mouth, (laughs) uh, you can help either of them, right? With all of that said, would you be so kind as to tell me about the first time you ever had to speak in front of a big group? And if this is a played out story, then hit fast forward, but I'd just love to hear it. And I I can find it. Well, I'm happy to share my origin story. It actually is the very first words in the book I wrote. I wrote a book called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. And I tell the story of what happened to me on one cold Saturday morning as a 14-year-old boy. So it was freshman year of high school. I had to introduce myself in front of my English class. The teacher started the course by having each student stand up and introduce themselves. Having the last name Abrahams, you know I went first. I often did. After I spoke and everybody went at the end of the class, Mr. Meredith, I still remember seeing his face, came up to me and said, you're good at this talking thing you need to compete in a speech tournament this weekend. So being a freshman, I thought, okay, do what the teacher says. He said, write a speech on something you're passionate about. At that time, and still to this day, I'm big into the martial arts. And I did a speech on karate. You can sort of see where this is going. So I show up in my pants that are too tight, my father's tie that he had to tie for me because I didn't know how to tie a tie. I walk into this huge room where There are other kids who look as uncomfortable as I did. Parents of my friends are there. They're the judges. And the girl I like is also sitting in the room. It's my turn to give a speech. It's a 10-minute speech on karate. And I was so nervous, Corey. I forgot to put on my special karate pants. You know, the one with the little extra room. So I started my speech. I was told, start with something to get people's attention. So I started with a karate kick. I ripped my pants from belt buckle to zipper, a huge crevasse of a rip in the first 10 seconds of a 10 minute speech. And from that moment, I realized the impact anxiety can have 
on people and their communication. And I really think that event, that Saturday morning when I was 14, put me on this trajectory to do what I do today. So I have experienced utter anxiety in front of people, and I have helped people throughout the years, I hope, to learn to manage that. So first of all, in retrospect, and hopefully it's not insensitive to say that that is hilarious. Um, I I laugh at it now. It was not at the time. So when that happened, what then, or should people read the book to find out, did you end up killing this? Like, did you just crush this beat center? Or did you run off stage or how? No, so I actually it was formative. So I don't talk about what happened. So I'll tell you, this is a, an exclusive yes. for you and your listeners. So my speech coach, this was a fellow teacher of Mr. Meredith who was there and she was a woman. She threw me mid-speech, right after it happened, she threw me her bright fluorescent pink sweatshirt that she was wearing. She took it off, threw it to me. I tied it around my waist. I finished the presentation. And I think just out of pity, I won the round because the parents were just amazed that I just finished it and were so embarrassed for me. But it actually helped me understand that that if you learn to manage anxiety, good things can happen. You have to be spontaneous in the moment. But there is a picture of me that no one will ever see in a pink sweatshirt wrapped around my waist with a hole in my pants as a 14-year-old boy. I love everything about that. And if we really just think about it in the film of our lives may just be memes to some other entity, right? You talk about the observer effect. And of course, it was bright pink. In 2020, I think any color for any person back then, though, because we're neither of us are very young, men in pink back then was kind of you didn't see that. I'm much older than you are, but it was the Miami Vice days. So people were wearing bright colors. The reason I say it was bright pink is it was so distracting. You don't see anything else but just this pink glow. And that's the reason I highlight the color. The whole thing was it feels surreal now, but it really did have an impact on my life. Had that not been tossed to you, or had you not had the capacity to use it to cover up and keep going, you may have gone down a completely different path in life. And there may be thousands of people that either never got on a stage. So would it be fair to say that after that experience, you looked forward to getting in front of a crowd again, whether it was either for redemption or you knew what not to do? So uh, I absolutely, to this day, like getting in front of people. It was not immediately after that event. I needed a lot of time to process it. It really did embarrass me, and and it really did make me feel bad about myself. But over time, with the coaching and solace of others and, and really some reflection in reading and ultimately in graduate school research, I've gotten to a point where I still get nervous, but I've learned to manage it in a way, and I actually thoroughly enjoy communicating in front of others, be it one-on-one, be it in person or like we're doing today or in front of a large audience. But it took time. And I think that's true for most people. Well, and that kind of can speak to discipline as well. And I know that we're going to talk more about martial arts. I'm glad you brought it up. But one thing I think is incredibly worth digging into, or at least underscoring, is that you have spoken in front of huge crowds. You have spoken for decades. You are known as a speaker and a speaker's speaker who helps non-speakers speak when it comes to speaking, you are the man. And you just said you still get nervous as well. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's the whole thing. And I have friends that have played at the professional level in different sports and things like that. And even some of these people, sometimes they get a little nervous to go out in front of a crowd to, you know, whatever, 10,000 people in the stadium or something, you know, they go, it never quite, it always feels a little strange. And I've done, you know, I've spoken in front of some big groups and stuff like that too. And I think for myself as well, you always, you know, up until a day of, you're like, oh, I got this. That day, every time you do get a little, just, you know, you're a little loosey, a little, am I really doing this? And 
um, I, I think people do start to second guess themselves. So something that I think you talk about in regards to anxiety and that in regards to speaking and that I found as well that translates into the martial arts as well mm-hmm. is breathing. And I don't get them anymore because my body knows it will have no dominion over me. But I used to get panic attacks myself mm-hmm. and a little claustrophobia or sure. even before a stage. Do you have a breathing ritual? Are there any breathing exercises that have changed your life or that you teach other people that, that change their perception yeah. of speaking? Sure. So breath is so important to communication. Not only is it a way of managing anxiety, but it's a way of really getting the most out of your voice. Your voice is a wind instrument, like a trumpet, a clarinet, a flute. The more you do with your the air you push through your voice, the better you can use it. So I spend a lot of time talking to people about breath. It is a great management tool. In terms of techniques, you know, there are lots of different ones to use. I am uh, simple tends to be best because people can remember it. So I'm a big fan of just three counts in through the nose, hold for three counts, exit for three counts, and do that just a few times. It slows down the autonomic nervous system. And if you do deep belly breaths, like in yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, you actually have more capacity to support your voice. When we get nervous, we breathe shallow from our upper chest. That makes our voice sound different. We speak more quickly. So just deep belly breaths uh, are good enough to, to really make a big difference for people. And I found that to be the case. Now, I don't know if you think that it's a personal thing or if you do it a certain way, but you said three seconds in through your nostrils, Mm -hmm. in for three and then out for three. When you breathe out, do you think that it's more important to come out through your mouth, through your lips, or do you also exhale through your nose or does that kind of depend? So it depends on what I'm trying to do. If I'm really trying to calm myself down and ground myself, I like to exhale through my mouth. It gets the whole system working. And if I'm about to speak, I want everything firing on all cylinders. In some of my meditative practices and the martial arts I do, I will breathe exclusively through my nose. So I adjust. But when I coach people, I think in through the nose, out through the mouth is just the right way to learn it. Myself as well. And that's what typically resonates. But I do a little martial arts also. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's always, that's just straight nose. And so I was wondering if you were going to say the same thing. Now, you quite literally, for those that that are listening to this as an audio podcast and didn't see my rudimentary gesture, but my mind was blown when you referenced the human voice as being a wind instrument. I play guitar and piano, but I also used to play clarinet and I have friends that play a number of woodwind instruments. It makes so much sense. And you can almost think about it. We almost have a reed being our tongue. And so... Now, when you think about life being vibratory and everything being frequency and tonal tonality waves, it makes so much sense why a belly breath would resonate more and why it would be a little bit, you do speak slower when you're breathing, doing those belly, but breath is actually traveling a longer distance. So whether now we're talking about the speed of sound or the speed of light, even, I mean, I love physics and we've spoken a little bit about some things that touch physics before, but to think of voice. Mm-hmm. We talk about it being an instrument. I never thought about it in regards of an instrument being an instrument, just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So we are effectively, you know, a one man band when we're in front of that audience. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. And sometimes when we're doing group communication, we have our whole band with us, but people don't take the time to really think about their voice and their breath. One of the things that I recommend to people when you have a big presentation coming up or a meeting contribution, you should actually build what I call vocal stamina. Very few people would wake up one morning and say, you know, this is a good day. I'm going to go run a marathon. 
No, you would train first if you want to run that kind of distance, nor should you expect to be able to speak for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time without training first. You have to train your breath, train your voice. So I often recommend that people read out loud a week before they have a big event for five to 10 minutes a day. It's like running on a treadmill before you go run a road race. It's a proxy for speaking. And when you're reading out loud, you don't have to think about the words you're saying. So you can actually really focus on how fast am I talking? Am I emphasizing words appropriately, et cetera? So building your voice and building your breath are critical to effective communicating. And the more and more we are doing virtually where you don't get the whole picture of me, the more my voice is important. I love that. To kind of get back to the athletics or the sports parallel, it's been said that an athlete can train in their mind. If they visualize themselves lifting weights for an hour a day for a month, that they'll start to show some of that muscle buildup. Is that the same in your assessment if someone were to give a speech in their mind? Because I love to do that. You can close your eyes and see the crowd and then they always go wild, right? Absolutely. Some of the oldest research that I'm aware of on how to help people feel less anxious around speaking is exactly what you're talking about. It's visualization. If you were to see yourself several days before, you can't do it moments before, but if several days before, see yourself in the room or online, giving the presentation, having it go well, doing that rehearsing, just like you mentioned, just like the effect is in sports, it can help you. And it does so by desensitizing you. So you've seen it before. So you're not a deer in the headlights when you're first coming onto the stage or coming onto the screen. And that can really help. And you know what, Corey, I know you are Mr. Technology. There's some really cool tools that exist to help. So there's a virtual reality app. You need the goggles, but they don't have to be expensive ones. They can be the cheap cardboard ones. It actually puts a virtual audience in front of you for the sole purpose of practicing. And you can do a couple things, like you can determine the size of that audience. You can determine what the space looks like. You can determine if they're friendly or if they're actually bored or ignoring you. So not only can you do it in your mind's eye, there's now technology that can help you do the same thing. That's incredible. And so to get a little bit weird for a moment, then are you familiar with the concept of the simulated reality theory? I am, yes. When you think about putting on those goggles and having a crowd in front of you, and it right, might really be your cat and some plants or something like that, <laughs> it starts to feel like a little crossover into that, which I absolutely love. Yeah. One question I have about when you're working with people or when you're personally the one in front of the crowd, you know, this is the Corey Connects podcast. I love to connect in a number of ways. When you have a crowd in front of you, are you trying to maybe pick a few people out and connect with them personally or do you have a way where everyone in that crowd feels like it's just you and them? Or how do you get that connection piece going when it's one to many? So I'm going to answer that question with yes. I try to do everything there. There are some things you can do to really engage an entire audience. A few are physical in nature. So you can ask a rhetorical question and people are thinking of an answer. You can take a poll. If you're in person, you have people raise their hand. If you're online, they're polling features. So you get them physically doing something. You can get people mentally engaged. One of my favorite ways to do that is just linguistically. If I ask you to imagine or what if you could, just those phrases get you involved in a way that it's not just me telling you something. Our brains were not wired to receive bullet points, just lists of information. We don't do very well that way. But if I can get you to see a scene in your mind, then all of a sudden you're engaged with me. So I might say, imagine what it would be like, Corey, if we could. And all of a sudden you're imagining that. Verse me is me saying, Corey, here are the three things you need to know. They're linguistic ways, they're physical ways. 
Now, in terms of individuals, I might refer to somebody by name. I've called you by your first name a few times. That's a way to connect. I might, if I'm in person, give somebody a little more eye contact or gesture in their direction. I believe you can do both. I do think we have to give ourselves permission to connect. A lot of us get so trapped in, I have to say my material the right way that we isolate ourselves even when we're communicating with others. But that connection piece is so important. And now that we're virtual more and more, you have to work even harder to connect. So that's another thing. And I love all of that. Something I wanted to then mention is, if I'm not mistaken, you've been kind of doing and leading as a thought leader, the virtual events since before the whole world had to kind of do it. So I don't even specifically have a question like, you know, I'm not going to say, how did it feel? Or how, you know, how many people did you want to say, I told you so, but now that you're really seeing it happen right now that the world is kind of having to in real time adapt some ideologies and methodologies that you've been teaching on, I guess, like, how does it feel? (laughs) And and how are people, how are people doing, what are people getting wrong? The need to communicate virtually brought on primarily by the COVID-19 pandemic is, is tragic. The impetus is tragic. The fact that we are communicating this way, though, I think has lots of benefits for all of us. And you're right. I taught a course at the Stanford's Business School several years ago, for many years, on effective virtual presenting before we were in the situation we were in and really got grounded well in that. And then when my business partner and I rolled out similar information to our consulting practice, it really took off initially, but it's exploded now that we are all communicating this way. And a lot of things people get wrong are around really two things. It's around presence and engagement. And we've talked a little bit about engagement already, but you really have to think about how do you bring yourself to the screen to other people? And we mentioned how voice is important, but something as simple as where you look. I don't know if you notice, and the audience might not know this, but we are actually recording this via video, even though they're hearing this only via audio. But you might notice, Corey, that the whole time I'm talking to you, I'm looking at you. In other words, I'm looking at the camera to make it look like I'm looking at you. And many people just look all over the place when they speak because they don't feel like they're connected. But in fact, from your perspective, the audience's perspective, if I look at the camera, it looks like we're having a conversation. So that's just one example of presence. And so it's important to think about how do you show up to the other person? The driver almost behind that would be empathy, right? And just perspective. And life is all about perspective. And I think one of the powerful takeaways that I'm getting from this chat with you is as a speaker, the perspective, and I love when you were kind of saying some people isolate themselves, the speaker can either be of the speaker or of the crowd. And if you are speaking to a crowd as the crowd or for the crowd, that's where you can get that resonant people lean in, people feel like you're speaking only to them. And the other thing, I've heard you really kind of touch on is just being deliberate, having intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Attention and intention are critical. And the attention to the other is super important. I think the number one communication mistake people make is they start from the wrong place. They start from here is what I want to say rather than here is what my audience needs to hear. And I know you're a martial artist, so it sounds like verbal jujitsu where I'm flipping words around, but in fact, it is a fundamental difference. If you take the audience's perspective, what they need, it puts you in service of them and that allows you to connect. And then once you have that connection, doing exactly what you said, using inclusive language, words like you, us, we, if you're moderating or asking questions, you say things like, as you might know, or as you 
are curious about. That pulls people in. And all of a sudden, we're having a conversation rather than just watching somebody communicate. And so attention and intention are absolutely critical. I agree. I would say I follow you on LinkedIn. I love your content. And you get great engagement there. And you know, I would imagine people listening to the show know that I love to get on LinkedIn and, and my posts will get decent engagement as well. A lot of people don't. And I've seen people on for years and their posts don't get a lot of engagement. This is not about my content or your content, but it's rather about your and my and many others like ours approach of asking inclusive questions, getting conversations started, not just showing up to teach someone something or to speak at a platform to speak with people. And it sounds like even when it's all eyes on you at the front of a a lecture hall or a big crowd or, or a TED talk, like that's the way that you approach it as well. So I've got kind of a a counter question then. You do lean in, you get the conversation going. You're not the type to just show up and say, listen to this, but you are known as being someone that teaches a lot of people about a, a fairly nuanced topic. And so as someone known as a teacher and who you've been paid to be a teacher, I mean, literally a teacher as well as someone who teaches, what is something that you're actively learning right now, seeking to either expand your knowledge base or that you've been seeking out or that perplexes you on, on an intellectual level? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I can answer it in many ways. Well, I'm going to give you two answers to this. The first is more technological. As we get more sophisticated with our communication technology, it becomes more distracting to actual connection and communication. Something I'm trying to figure out is how do we get the advantages of feedback in the moment or other types of technological insight and information in the midst of communicating such that it enables it, it catalyzes it rather than works against it. So that's one thing that I'm interested in and trying to figure out. And then the other thing personally is throughout my life, I have been focusing on how to become more present oriented. Communication is best when both parties are just intimately present in that moment. It is so easy these days to be distracted. On a personal level, I am continuing to work on that present orientation. And on a more academic, bring to the world approach is is how do we leverage technology. You're probably familiar with this book then. Yes. Be yes, Here yes, Now yes. by, by yes. Rob Doss. Um, Absolutely. It occurs to me because I love what you just said. And again, you are someone that people you have had their lives changed by that people look to for that peace and that just having it all together. And and I think that where that can kind of come from is the breath as well, being in the moment when you're tuned into your breath to such, you know, even if it's just a matter of three in, hold three, three out, that you're counting, you're there, you're with the breath. There's a concept by Alan Watts where he, he talks mm-hmm. about breath is very interesting because it's one of the few things that we actively do when we think about it. But when we're not thinking about it, we inactively do it. It is being done to us. It's just, it's a happening. We can choose to do it, but we can't choose not to do it. Mm. And when you tune into that, in that moment of I'm breathing, I feel it. And you know, sometimes why I like breathing out through the, through the lips is you can then at least tell yourself you're feeling the cool through the nostrils in and you're feeling the warmth through the lips on the way out. Um, And just that calling it to that moment. And what I'm hearing from you, and, and I've learned so much from this chat, I feel like we can talk about breathing, bringing one's self 
into their moment. But what you teach on and what you do is how do people collectively bring themselves as a collective into that moment? You can't do that with your own breathing, but you know, sometimes right. maybe it's a circadian rhythm or sometimes I love that you've said some of those little ways of getting people to lean in. I've always known it was a good trick for an orator to ask a crowd, you know, how many of you feel this way or this way? But I never really conceptualized it as every single person is now answering your question. They are That's now right. answering it to you. Now you are having a quick one-on-one with everybody in the crowd, whether it's 10 people, 100 people, or a thousand. So first of all, I want to thank you. You're one of the first guests on the Corey Connect show. You were one of the ones, my team came up with a short list and you were literally the top of one list on three lists. And and they were all so excited. They're jealous that you and I are having this chat. So I appreciate your time. I want to keep you another three hours, but I can't and I shouldn't. (laughs) And it's a a Friday and we were both talking. We both had great weeks, but they've been very long weeks. I heard some people at the grocery store saying that earlier too. It seems to be something in the air and last night was the full moon. So in these last few minutes, I would love to, first of all, I know you are a consultant that one of what you're doing. I'd love to hear a bit about your practice, who it is that can benefit from working with you and how they can get in touch with you. And then I would also love for you to either it will call the Jerry Springer moment. If you have any just profound bits of wisdom for me that everyone listening to this will benefit from, or if you've got a good joke or a good question that's going to make everybody just go, hmm, that I'd love to just yield the rest of the show to you with my thanks. And I oh, can't that's... wait to catch up with you here in just the next few weeks. Well, first and foremost, thank you for inviting me. It is quite an honor to be one of the first, if not the first interview that you've done. So thank you. And I appreciate it. So the consulting practice I co-founded is called Bold Echo. We want people's messages to be bold and confident, and we want them to echo long after people have left the speaking engagement. We work to help anybody, individual contributors to senior leaders, be it on just rudimentary everyday communication in meetings or interpersonally to high stakes presentation. We're are all about that. BoldEcho.com is a great place to go. I too host a podcast. You've done a great job, Corey, for your first podcast. It's called Think Fast, Talk Smart it's for the Stanford Business School. And we talk all about communication. I interview other Stanford professors about communication and aspects of it. And that's a lot of fun. And then finally, the book I wrote, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out is a great place I hope to go for people who want to become more confident and compelling in their communication. In terms of just something for you to ponder and think about is, so my mother has this saying, and I love the saying, tell me the time, don't build me the clock. We live in a world of clock builders. And what would it be like if we could all take just a moment to reflect on who we're talking to, what they need, and how we can just tell them the time in the right way that it resonates, it gives them what they need, without going into too much detail or going into the weed. How about pondering, telling the time and not building the clock? Could we distill that by saying being considerate? I think being considerate and concise are part of it. I also think being connected is important as well. So I think a lot of words that begin with C go right into what that really boils down to, for sure. Not only C, but C-O. And this was a year that I had chosen three words on January 1st to really mold my year. And I shared it with my world in hopes it might help some others. And that was consideration, collaboration, and confidence. And I think those can be carried into public speaking, how we express ourselves. I hope to have you back on Matt. I oh, love your you. show. I love your content. I'm going to be giving my world more, more of an insight into your world as well. I know everyone that likes what I'm doing on LinkedIn and beyond can benefit from what it is that you teach and help people with. So with that said, 
Uh, this is the Corey Connects podcast. This is a new venture where I'm connecting with people that I want to connect more with and learn from and build with. And so Matt, you are on that list. I look forward to connecting with you beyond the show. Uh, everyone now knows how to get in touch with you and tell them you're a friend of Corey's and, and we'll see where that gets. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Corey. Happy to be a friend. Thank you. <laughs>